I have been asking God to give us peace and to give us a hunger. Had a roommate that um, he and I had one thing in common. We didn't like black olives and mushrooms on our pizza. Um, we, we, so whenever we would go somewhere as a group or something, if, if we ordered together, he and I would order together, we wanted the same thing. We went someplace one time and, uh, we had been on a fast. Several of us had been on a fast and, uh, we were coming off the fast, uh, at pizza hut. I'm not sure that's a wise idea, but when you're young, you can do things like that. And uh, they had made a mistake on our order and it was loaded with mushrooms and olives and I'm trying to pick mine off. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm eating the pizza. And I said, you don't like mushrooms and olives. He looked at me and after three day fast, he said, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. <laughs> and what he was saying is I'm willing to go beyond what I normally go through because I'm hungry. So I've asked God to give us a hunger concerning missions and the things of God. I'm preaching a message today where I'm really trying to, to touch two groups at the same time. They're really the same group, but it's sort of like trying to preach to young and old at the same time. The, 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 the core of it is the same, but the applications might be different or the starting point might be different. I am preaching to a congregation that you have been so faithful. You've always been faithful to missions. Um, I met a missionary at an event a while ago and um, in another state. And he said, you, you are Stephen Chitty at Christian Life in Columbia. I said, yes. And he said, I'm one of your missionaries. And I looked at his name tag and I could not place him for love nor money. And I pray for our missionaries regularly, but um, he said, I know, he said, I can read your face. You're not sure who I am. He said, when I say I'm one of your missionaries, he said, I was one of your missionaries during Steve Brown's leadership. And he said, uh, I, I know that was before your time, but he said, I have friends that Steve supported and you have supported all these years. And he said, I just feel like I'm part of the family. He said, we've never met. You don't even know my name, but I am part of the Christian life family because the Christian life family has always loved missions. And I said, well, you, you have just made my day and I can't wait to, to get back and tell everybody that you send your greetings. And I forgot his name, but I will, I will get it. I wrote it down and I will get it. I'm sorry. I've had such a crazy week. I'm, I'm forgetting a couple of things. But um, so I thought it's so great for a church to be known for missions. And you've been known for missions for so long. We've gone from just the records I can find. We've gone from, now we always gave more than this, but it came out of general fund. We have gone from, that I know of in, in, in my tenure, we've gone from giving. Now we gave more as a church, but you giving to missions, we've gone from about $36,000 a year to close to $400,000 a year. And, and we praise God for that. It's always been in your heart. And what I want to do today is to celebrate what we have done. I also want to talk to you about the future, those of you that are here and you've been here a long time. Uh, most of you have. Some of you are new and missions is a new concept to you. I hope to bring you up to speed on the way we do things. And, but we also, um, when we started doing live stream services a year and a half ago, I'll be honest with you, I thought it was just survival to get us through virus. I thought this is what we'll do and we'll do it till we don't have to do it anymore. And two things happened. We, we found out that it's a great way for our church to expand. We found out that it added some fantastic family members to our congregation. We have folks that can't drive to be with us in church, but they are regular every week and they are a part of the fellowship and people online are starting to say, I want to be more involved than just a Sunday morning service. <coughs> so how can I be more involved in part of the church? <coughs> and uh, I got a, a, a text message from somebody a few weeks ago 
It said, your congregation is ready. And I, I didn't recognize um, the name. And I, I looked at it and I said, oh, I know who that is. But they're in another state. And they said, your congregation is ready. And I thought they were saying, well, you know, I'm your congregation. And I thought that was great. To make a long story short, I found out there's like 28 people that gather in a home every Sunday morning. And that's not an unusual thing. So what we want to do is we want to take a step further with our digital congregation. We want to introduce them to missions um, so that if they want to be a part of what we're doing for missions, we want to make it easy for our digital church to do that. Um, so this is a big day for us. It's not just our annual missions emphasis. It's a time when we're saying we're bringing all the family on board. And Pastor Corey's going to come in a few minutes because um, uh, I, I, am, I am a dinosaur. And um, I will tell you how to plug in your eight track and give to the church. Um, um, you say, well, Pastor, you get along fine in computer age. Yes, because my children don't mind me saying, sweetie, can you help me with this? You know? Yes. And, and uh, how do I make this a phone? You know, how, what? But Corey understands it. He's going to come and tell you how it works. But what I want to do is provide the challenge today. Now, you have a faith promise card in your bulletin. If you're not here, if you're watching online, Corey will tell you how to get to one. We're not asking for these today. If you want to, you can. If you know what God wants you to do, you can. Um, and, uh, but next Sunday is, is the day when we're really focusing on these. Um, Ron Maddox will be here. Ron is a great missionary and has done a phenomenal work for God, he and his wife and family. Ron is going to tell you next week what's going on around the world. I want to deal today with what I think is going on in our hearts. I've done the missions pledge for the last, I don't know, four or five years, and you've responded beautifully. We've grown. Um, and the only reason we had a dip in 2020 in missions, uh, your giving didn't dip, your giving was up, but we didn't take our missions trips. We weren't able to do that. So missions last year shows a decline, but not in your giving, uh, in, in our going, we couldn't take the trips. So we are, we are seeing missions grow and continue to be important. And I want to talk to you about how to, how to let missions be a part of the, of your giving and of church in a very difficult time. I, I know uh, that if we are the average church, and I don't think we're the average church, but in the average church in America, less than 50%, closer to 40% of the congregation, only about 40% of the congregation gives consistently to the church. So about 40% financially carry the other 60%. One of the things we're after is that everyone understands the principle of giving. It's such a huge thing, but I don't want to become one of those guys that tells you if you'll start tithing, we'll send you holy water or a, you know, a prayed over blanket with my picture on it or something like that. Um, but there's a fine line between you, we all need to be admonished to give, but we don't want to turn into one of those... Uh, uh, things that are so easily misunderstood and appear, appear so unattractive. Um, we, we, we don't mind rising to the occasion. Uh, like we're going to talk to you about our, our, the future of our property in a few weeks. And we're, we, we're hoping that we can set aside a little bit of time where we can have special offerings and get that paid for and get a good start onto the next level of things. But, um, but we don't want you to feel like, oh, I don't want to listen to the first 20 minutes. It's going to be about money. But money is an essential part of the way the church operates. But I hope today that you can see it in a way you've never seen it before. Now you say, well, looking at these notes, it looks like you're going to do it. Well, let me tell you the good thing. Um, for our notes that are printed, I have to have them done days in advance. And we had our pastor board advance this last week where we pray about plans and visions and budget. So that meant I had to have these done a couple of weeks ahead of time. And I wasn't sure which way I wanted to go. I knew what I wanted to say. So I put two sermons in there. 
I put one called Missions 2022. I'm, I'm getting some real original titles. Uh, you know, the Wednesday night thing I'm doing is called Stuff. And uh, because the, the topics are so scattered. And by the way, we'll do part two of Long Emergency a week from this Wednesday. Uh, we've got our missions banquet this Wednesday. Um, and I, I said, I know I want them to understand what the church felt about missions. And I also put another sermon in there that I usually preach every year or so. I preached it back in 2020. It's what the early church understood about money. I, I don't think we can understand church life without understanding how important the, the concept of giving was to the early church. I thought I would preach segments of that, and it turns out I'm not of either one. I'm just pointing you in a direction. So you get three for one today. You get, you get my heart, which there are no notes for, and then you get two sermons, which I encourage you to study and go through to understand what we believe about missions. And I can just tell you this, we're in that first message you've got, it says that the early church embraced contentment. We talked about contentment last week. It says that they were moved to concern. Jesus saw them as sheep, not having a shepherd. Um, they were commissioned. It was given to them as an assignment to... Um, uh, to, to preach the gospel and to go into all the world and make disciples. And they were, they were, and they were also convinced that the plan God gave them worked. Jesus, it was summarized by Paul in Acts 20, where Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's kind of a cute little phrase. But Paul, in his parting words to Ephesus, thought it was so important. He said, remember, this is the principle that God gave you to live by. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And then the second message is uh, what the early church learned about money. They learned about giving out of deep poverty. They learned that Jesus was the example. They learned that giving is not just a discipline. It is that, but it's a grace and God anoints it and God breathes life into it. And that's why when we tithe, we find that we can do more with 90% trusting the Lord with the tithe than we could ever do with 100%. I've tried it. I've tried it. I know what it's like to say, I can't afford to tithe right now, only to find out I can't afford to not tithe right now. And uh, so these are some principles that we live and die by, but that's not what I want to talk to you about today. Um, in fact, if you want to listen more about what the church learned about money. Uh, it was a message. I think the copy you've got is, I, I, I try to preach it every year or so, is the copy from 2017 or so. But even last year, when we started talking about uh, fighting the good fight, we talked about how important it was. Well, well it, was in, it was before that. It was in 2020, those foundational things. Um, we preached it then as well. Now, I want to read a, a text to you from Psalm 126. And I've told a little bit about the story I'm going to tell today before, um, but I, I'm, I'm going to go into more detail today and, and talk not only about the event, but the circumstances surrounding the event. Um, because of this reason, I know that our church believes in giving. You say, so we're more than 40 or 50% then that give. I, I don't know. The last time I checked, we were less than 50% that give regularly. Now, we're more than 50% those that might give on occasion. But regular givers, we're, we're probably around 50% or a little less. We're better than the average church, but not near where we ought to be. And um, we're praying that God will help us get there. But I do know this. Those of you that give are incredibly consistent. Um, we looked at the difficult years. 2019 was a difficult year for other reasons, but 2020 was a year like we had never seen. And we didn't know what to expect in 2021, but you have been steady. You have been, um, the, the downs are, are marginal and, and then we, we bounce back. You are an incredible group of stewards. And I want to say, thank you. I'm going to tell you this. The, the Sunday after we were told, I mean, the week after we were told we could not gather in March of 2020, we did not know what we were looking at. And the staff can tell you, I called a meeting and I said, guys, I think we need to be aware and we need to make some backup plans. We don't know if we're going to exist in six months. We don't know if we're going to be able to pay the mortgage. We don't know if we're going to be able to pay salaries. 
We, we don't know what we're facing and we have got to do everything we can to wrap our heads around how do we function as a church if we don't have a church. That's how scary it was last March. And then, then the, you know, we started telling people, hey, you can give online. And I thought, yeah, yeah, you can give online. That's a, yeah. When has that ever worked in the history of the church? Of course, they never were able to give online. So I was a, a heavy pessimist. I said, you know, Lord, just help us. And then we started getting reports of your giving. And I said, no, guys, I'm, I'm not talking about what we want. I'm talking about what are people giving online? And they said, this pastor, people are, are stepping up. People are giving. And week after week of meeting budget and, and people giving to missions. And then we had a meeting a few weeks later. I looked at them all and said, I told y'all not to worry. I told you everything was going to be fine. And as we are ending 2021, going into 2022, our, our giving is down a little bit, but you would expect that with mostly online giving. Uh, and, and we want to encourage you to be faithful. And we want to encourage you, if you're not a tither, give it a shot. Give it a, give it a chance. And uh, we believe that um, uh, uh, tithing and giving is, was the norm for the church. We believe it's still the norm of the church. And um, we, 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 it's, it's for everything from, from paying mortgage to doing benevolence. And if everybody were to be faithful, there's no telling what could be accomplished. So that's my commercial about giving. But I want to talk to you about missions in particular. When I was a freshman at Southeastern University, in those days it was Southeastern Bridal, uh, Southeastern Bible College. We, it was called Southeastern Bridal College because they said that's where you go to, to find a wife, you know. And, um, and, it, and it worked for me. It worked for me. But um, not Southeastern Bridal College, but Southeastern Bible College. And if you know, you know what, if there's a school that provides a good spouse for you, it's worth going to. You know, we laughed about it, but I'm happy. Been happy for 42 years. I'm still grinning. Okay. Um, but it was my freshman year. And in the fall, we had a missions convention. In the spring, we had a missions um, emphasis. Two times a year that we, the, the first one, students made a commitment to, to go and to give and to pray uh, like we do here at our church. The spring was just a, if you haven't fulfilled, you know, your goal, kick in and try to finish the year well. Um, and it was a time that was really emphasizing the call of God on your life for missions. And I, I don't remember if it was the fall of 73 or the spring of 74, but Deltar, his son Randy is the director, as I said, of Africa's Hope. Deltar came to preach and he read this verse of scripture and as he held to the pulpit and, and just poured his heart out, something wrapped itself around me. And it was so strong when we were dismissed to go to class, I, I just said, I'm going to take an absence in class. I've got to process this. And I sat there and I prayed and I, I just wept trying to process what God was saying to me about missions because I saw missions in a light that I'd never seen it before. If I may be quite honest with you without hopefully not sounding cynical, the average church uh, missions is just a, a obligatory part of their budget where they send certain percent to missions. Or if you have a good year and you have some extra money you want to give, you give it to missions. But Del, Del Tar, um, with, with such intensity, told about how important the idea of harvest was in his field of labor, which was Africa. I'd never heard that before. Uh, to, to, to us, missions was calculated and very deliberate. And I remember the first time I made a missions pledge. Um, now, you're going to laugh at my pledge, but it was a lot for a, for a junior high kid to make. I pledged $4 a month to a missionary. And the secretary treasurer of the church, who was like another mama to me, Sister Godwin, she called me in during Sunday school, and I, I thought I was in trouble. And she called me in and said, said, sit down, Stevie, I want to talk to you. 
And I thought, I, I, my immediate response was, I, Sister Godwin, I didn't do it. I, and she laughed and said, I don't know what you're talking about. We'll deal with that later, but let's talk about this. And she showed me a card. It said Stevie Chitty, 1512 East Young Street, 50 cents, um, or, uh, 50 cents for a missionary and 50 cents for another missionary. Um, a week was $4 a month. And she said, you know, this is $48 a year. And I said, yes, ma'am. And she said, and you know that Brother Stevenson explained that we, we make these pledges for four years. So this is $48 a year for four years. That's a lot of money. And, and I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I just want to be sure that you understand this because I don't want you to make a commitment that is going to be a problem for you. Uh, and you're going to be unable to do it. She said, she said in, in, a, in a couple of years, you're going to want to start dating girls. And we don't want you to have the turmoil of saying, well, I can't take a girl out because I'm giving this money to missions. And I remember I said, Sister Godwin, I already want to go out with a girl. And, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm handling that all right. And um, she, she, it was like she was trying to talk me out of it. And she said, do you believe God has told you to make this pledge? And I said, yes, ma'am, I really do. And then she did what Sister Godwin always did. She went over and gave me a hug and kiss on the top of the head. She said, well, I just wanted to be sure. And I, you know, I did it every, and usually the way I did it is I'd put a $50, 50 cent piece in an envelope, Stevie Chitty missions. And I did that till that missions pledge was paid. And, um, I don't know if I renewed it because that was about the time I went off to college, but I'm, but I made that commitment and, and God helped me. Now, he didn't make me a millionaire. I didn't invent Microsoft or anything like that. But it was teaching me something that missions, if it's in your heart, follow your obligation. Now, I don't, I, I would say that is true. Missions is a, a discipline because not always is it going to be where you've just got extra that you give, okay? Um, and missions is so important because general missions, when you, when you make a, a faith promise to missions, that helps us pay for the missionaries. A lot of people love to give to projects. I'll build that orphanage or I'll build that Bible school. And that's good. And we do raise money for that. We just, we just told Africa's Hope that in Togo, we're going to send them $25,000 by the end of the year to build a Bible college in Togo that they don't have. They need it yesterday. And we're, we're one of a group of churches saying, go ahead and start and by the end of the year, in fact, I think we may have already sent it. I don't even know out of our missions money, but um, we said, we'll, we'll be a part of this. And then I got a, a, a text message a few days later, the full amount's been raised thanks to churches like Christian Life. And we say, praise God, there are projects and people love to give to projects, but what we need you to do with this is give to missions uh, our, our general missions fund, because that's what pays the salaries for our missionaries who are on the field. This is what pays for literature. This is what pays for so many essentials. It's sort of like in your home, you might get a raise or you might get a bonus and you say, boy, we needed this. We're going to go buy a new couch or we're going to put in a swimming pool. All that's fine, but you don't use your electricity money to buy a new couch or you'll be sitting in the dark. So, so we, 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 we pray, we give, we go. We believe that everyone can pray. We, we, we believe almost everybody can give. And, and some will be able to go to the missions field on trips that we take every year. As soon as we get some of this COVID behind us, we'll be able to go. We, we're taking some home missions trips already again. But we're asking you to consider this right here uh, to be sort of the ongoing maintenance of missions. This is what keeps our missionaries on the field. We're giving $25,000 to Togo for a Bible college because we already give X number of dollars to have missionaries there to teach and to do that. So I wanted, remember, y'all bear with me. I know a lot of you know this, but we've got a whole new branch of the family that we're talking about how missions works. And now to the, to the verse that I want to read. This is the only part of the outline we'll deal with today. 
Um, and I'm going to read from the New American Standard. That's the second version of these scriptures. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. That doesn't make a lot of sense to us. In our culture, we don't usually plant in tears. We're happy to be planting. And if you're in a very big farm, you're sitting in an air-conditioned John Deere planter, and you're listening to, to Hank Williams sing a country boy can survive, or, or, or John Denver, thank God I'm a country boy. And you're, you're smiling, you're grinning, you're planting your seed. And it's automated, and you know that in X number of days, you're going to be out here with a combine bringing it all in. It's foreign to us to understand what it means to sow in tears. And it's more difficult for us to understand the rest of that sentence. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. Most of the farmers I know, especially when I was in Illinois, they didn't reap with joyful shouting. They, rep, they would reap with a sense of, Pastor, I'm not going to be much good to you for the next few weeks. It's harvest and we got to get everything in. Um, I may not be here, but I'll be sending my tithe and I just want you to know I'm praying for you. And there was a sense of, I hope I can get through this. And, and it, 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 it was such a, a guttural thing. I wanted to go help them. You know, the harvest was a heavy thing. But he says... If you have planted with tears, meaning the more it costs you, not necessarily a dollar amount, but the more it costs you, the more cause for rejoicing you will have at the end. And then Del Tar went on to explain that. And that's what had me sit there and just weep for, I don't know, 20 minutes, half hour or longer after the service, God, God was explaining something to me about missions that I had never seen before. To me, missions was just, if I can afford it, I budget it carefully, and then I follow good, solid business principles to give to missions. And I do believe in good, solid business principles. I believe in, in wise planning. A lot of us get all stressed out over what we don't have. You know, if I had this, I'd give it. If you don't have it, you can't give it. I can't worry about what I can't give. And we're not trying to create a culture where you need to feel guilty for going to Pelicans and getting a snow cone. Oh, I love that place. You shouldn't feel guilty for going there and saying, Two little children aren't eating breakfast because I've got a snow cone here. I mean, you understand that? That's not the way missions operates. It does not operate because of guilt. But missions does operate. I believe every Christian ought to tithe because it is the normative Christian life. But then there is what we call tithes and offerings. And we have to make decisions with things about missions and, and so forth. And, and, and I, I was beginning to understand that it's not just I regulate my life and what I can afford to give, I give. There's something going on that the process of sowing may involve such emotion that it is a gut-wrenching drama. But I still didn't understand it. Oh, I think the, the closest to that I had seen is we used to always go out to lunch um, um, I mean, not lunch, but after Sunday night service, we'd go out and um, uh, there, was a, there was a ministry place called Krispy Kreme. We'd go out after. <laughs> well, anyway, we'd go out to Krispy Kreme and drink coffee. I'd get milk and drink and, and we loved it on Sunday night or we'd go someplace like that. And we always ate lunch at home, but we'd go out Sunday night and celebrate. And there were, there were a handful of times, or the dairy bar, those of you in Pensacola that are listening, you know, the dairy bars got torn down, but it was, it was where the, where God dwelt uh, back in the fifties and sixties. And, um, and there were a couple of times we'd have a mission service and you know, I'd be so excited we were going out and daddy and mother look at each other and say, we'll, we'll go next week. We'll go next week. I didn't know what happened, but my daddy had just emptied his wallet. 
in, in the mission service. That was the closest thing to sowing with tears that I knew about, not getting to go to Dairy Bar, not getting to go to Krispy Kreme. He says, they will reap with joyful shouting. And then he says, I want you to understand this, verse six, he who goes to and fro, that, that's the way they sowed. They, 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 they had, um, it, with some crops, they would plow up a, a neat row, a furrow like we have. But most of the time, most of the things they would grow, they would just break up the ground and then just go, they would crisscross the field and just throw out seed. The whole thing was a, um, was a, was a furrow as far as they were concerned. To and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed. Okay, he's weeping, going to and fro, and he's got a bag of seed. He will come again with shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I didn't understand what that meant because, I mean, we knew that we were going to bring, well, we thought it was sheep's. When we sang bringing in the sheaves, I sang bringing in, bringing in the sheeps. And I, I remember when I was in elementary school, I, I, my mom was worship leader. I didn't want her to be embarrassed. And, and I remember telling her mother, um, and, and, you know, I think it's important that we don't laugh at people. One of the greatest things you can learn is to laugh with people, not at people. And so I didn't want her to think I was trying to embarrass her, but I, I said, Mother, I said, Miss Averett told us that the plural of sheep is sheep, not sheeps. And she said, right. And I said, well, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but you sing bringing in the sheeps. And bringing, and she laughed and she went and got the book. She said, no, we don't sing bringing in the sheeps. She said, look, bringing in the sheaves. And I said, oh, and I came back a few minutes later. I said, what are sheaves? And I thought it maybe it was some exotic sheep or something. Um, and she, she went to the encyclopedia and looked it up. And she said, this, this, this is the way they, they bring in grain. They tie it together. And, and it's called sheaves, sheaves of barley, sheaves of wheat or some kind of grain. And she said, Jesus said, all the souls that we save will be like sheaves, harvest that is brought together. We will come rejoicing, not bringing in the sheeps, but bringing in the sheaves. And that helped me understand this verse a little bit better. We'll come bringing in the harvest with great joy. Now, you say, oh, Pastor, that's very simple to understand. But I, I'm not sure that we really got our head around it. We're going to bring in the harvest, celebrating. We'll do it singing songs of rejoicing. But the thing that precedes all of that is a weeping and a brokenness and a desperation. Now, in the time we've got left, what, what does that mean? What do we do with that? Del Tar began to tell a story, and he said that part of his ministry was among uh, the Bedouin Muslims of, of Africa. They would go through the lower desert, especially where they were, and through tough places, right, right there at the borderland. I mean, you didn't plant stuff in the desert, but right at, at the borderland, you had a, you had a little uh, belt where you could plant and grow. And I thought, uh, I thought I'd heard of Bedouins. I thought they were guys that just slept here one night, packed up their tent and went somewhere else. And they do that sometime. But he explained that the Bedouin farmers, he says, they have to stay put part of the year because they have to find a place where they can plant the seed and wait for it to mature. So the first thing he explained to us is that the Bedouins are on the move all the time. But he said, part of my ministry was to find where those Bedouins were staying, go to them and minister to them during those months that they were waiting for their harvest. They would guard the fields with, with weapons and they would, 
do everything to keep animals out of the field. They would, they would, he said they would even have to keep hungry people that would get the seed and eat it, keep them out of the field. He said sometimes they'd even have to keep their own children out of the field. And he said, while they were waiting for that to happen, he said it gave us opportunity, not just him, but other missionaries. They would live among them. They would talk to them. They would, they would, um, they would try to, to live like them and eat like them. And he said it was a process, um, and, and I'm, I'm not sure of his exact words. It's been 45 years or longer since, since this happened. Um, Oh boy, I guess close to 50 years since this has happened. And um, um, so it's my wording. It may not be his words exactly. But he said, usually this worked like a dream. They would plant their crops. It would, they would raise up. They would harvest them. And then they'd go somewhere else. And then we'd wait for another group to come in in a few months. And, and he said it was a very predictable life. They would plant the seed that they had saved from last year's crop. They would plant the seed. That's what's in that bag that was over the shoulder. And the rain would come. And remember, it's a land like Israel, the former and latter rain, different places, little more, little less. But basically, they had a season of rain that would sprout the seed and get it growing. And then they would, they would have uh, weeks of just worry and anxiety. Will the latter rain come? Because it's the latter rain that brings those plants to maturity and they can harvest them and, and eat them and get seed for the next harvest. Um, he said it's sort of like uh, 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 flying an airplane in reverse. He said if you fly an airplane, he said, you have two moments of absolute terror, take off and landing, you know, kind of filled with with incredible boredom in the middle. He said, it's not like that. He said, you have two moments of excitement, you know, the planting and the harvesting, but instead of boredom, he said, it's anxiety, it's worry. Will the rain come? Will there be a drought? Will there be famine? Whatever. And he said in all the years that he, and he talked about some other missionaries had been there. He said, it was, it was pretty predictable. You plant the seed, the rain comes, you eat the last harvest. You have to measure it out because that's all the food you've got. You've got to measure it out. You know, you can have this much per month, this much per week, this much per day, this much per person. And you have the seed hanging on the wall in a bag. You put it up high enough on the wall of your tent so that no animal could get to it. You don't want to walk in and, and have your goat eating your seed. He said, you don't want the children to go and get a handful of grain. And they would do this and rub it and make a little handful of cereal and eat it. He says, you've got to keep it away from the children. You've got to keep it away from the animals. He said, and it worked fine. He said, I've seen, he said, I've seen more than once where they might cut back a day's rations because they didn't have as good a harvest the year before as they thought. And they realized that, so they just cut back. He said that those Bedouin Muslims loved their children Mother and daddy might eat less, but they'd try to satisfy the children. He said, and, and you'd, get, you'd get to the point where you might have two or three lean weeks before the harvest came in, but everything was usually okay. Now, he said, but I saw a couple of years where there was not enough rain. He, saw, uh, uh, he said, I saw a couple of years where there was a disaster. And he said, you have this month's supply of food that you eat out of. And he says, the rain's not coming like uh, they thought it should have come. Production was down or whatever, or something happened. Could be famine could, or a, a drought, I meant to say. And they know how to read the weather like you and I can read the newspaper. And he said, I would see these people that we're trying to win to Jesus. He said, I could see them realize we're not going to be able to, to, to plant like we usually plant. We're not going to get the harvest like we. So they go into their food supply and they have to reduce it. And he said, a couple of times I have seen children. He said, I've been the guest in a home. He said, and I couldn't eat. 
he said, because I saw those children cry because they were not getting enough food. And they would eat what was presented to them and then they would cry because they wanted more, but there was no more to give them because if they gave them more today, they couldn't have anything tomorrow. And he said, I can't tell you what it did to me to see those children want more food. In Loveland's, most of us don't know what it's like to sit at the table and our children cry for more. You've done everything you can, but that's all you can give them or they won't eat tomorrow. He said that happened. He said, and sometimes it would get so bad. He said, I've seen this with my own eyes. He said, sometimes it would get so bad that children, little toddlers that didn't understand, um, they understood where the food came from. It came from those bags. And they would go to that bag that was full and, and almost overflowing. And they said toddlers and children four or five, six years old or sometimes older would do this to the bag and look at mommy and daddy and cry and beg for food. And mommy and daddy knew that if they did that, all they had to do was scoop out of that bag and their immediate problem would be solved. But he said they also knew there will be no future. He said on more than one occasion, he said the leader of one of those Bedouin homes would take him by the hand. He said, you tell us Jesus answers prayer. You tell us Jesus can help us. You tell us Jesus loves the little children. Will you please ask Jesus to give us more seed in our bags? And he said, as far as I know, there was never a time that seed miraculously appeared. He said, I would watch where for weeks anticipating planting, the children would go and beg mommy and daddy to give them food. I'm not trying to play on your heartstrings. I'm just trying to tell you the context of this message, of this verse. And he said, but the daddy knew that the whole future of his family was in that bag. The mama knew that the life of her children was in that bag. And he said, when it came time for harvesting, he said, I've seen men weak from malnourishment. I'm sorry, guys. He's seen them weak from malnourishment. And, and he said, I would try to help them, but that's their job. That's their responsibility. Put that bag on and with children asking for food, he said, I've seen him walk out of the tent, out to the, to the field. And he would look over his section of land and with tears flowing, he would reach in to the bag and have a handful of meal, uh, of seed that he knows could satisfy his children's longing. He said, I've seen him look at that and cry into it. He said, more than once, the first drops of moisture that seed knew were not from the sky, but they were from the daddy's eyes. And he said, I cannot tell you what it did to me to see him look. He said, maybe for 20, 30 seconds at that seed. And then he makes his decision. <sighs> Throws it away. Wow. He says he's taking step after step, weeping. He said some of his older sons that understood knew what a burden it was. They would come and they would just put their hand on daddy's back. And they were saying, he said it was though, as though they were saying, Daddy, we know this is for us. We know this is for our children to come. And he said, I've seen these men just weep and weep. And take, take the only thing they had and whoosh, 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 whoosh. And he said when that bag was empty and they shook it, he said he has seen little ones, little toddlers that didn't understand except that's where the food came from. He's seen them take up empty bags and stick their head in it trying to find food. And he's seen the dad take them up and go back. And he said, I've sat with them at the table where they just wept and said, now we pray for rain. And loved ones, it was a process of weeks but the rain would come, the 
the sprouts would come up, the grain would appear, and then it would begin to ripen. He said, and I have seen that same family who has been on almost starvation rations. Now, this isn't every year. This is during those famine or, or uh, drought years he's talking about. This wasn't the norm, but it happened. And he said, when it was finally time to harvest and they had kept all the animals away, he said, the daddy would line up. The singers of the family would line up. The young boys would line up. And the little children that were begging for food would have their little homemade flags. And he'd start going and gathering. He said, but instead of crying, they're singing. They're rejoicing. They're celebrating. And I, I was just, I was destroyed. And I sat down and I thought, Lord, what am I going to do? Uh, guys, I don't think, I, I, don't, I don't believe in being manipulated to give. In fact, I used to not take my wallet to missions because I felt like we were manipulated so many times. And then I got tired of having to go back to the dorm and get my wallet and come back. <laughs> what he was saying is what I took away from that meeting. There are times when planting and waiting and gathering is just nature's way. You, you know it's going to happen. You know tomorrow's going to be fine. You know that you just need a few weeks and everything's going to be okay. You just, you just live within your margins during that time. But there are times when it seems like nature itself is working against you. There are times that you have a perfect storm of sickness, unemployment, a child's problem at school, the list goes on and on. There are times that it, you don't know if the rain's coming. There are times that if you would just do this instead of this, everything would be okay, but you know this is the right thing to do. I was praying a few weeks ago, and I said, Lord, 2022 holds far more question marks than it does exclamation points. We, we were rattled in 2020 and amazed at your faithfulness. We've been amazed at your faithfulness in 2020. We are amazed at your faithfulness in 2021. But Lord, we, we are, our, our, our nation right now culturally is dysfunctional. There's such animosity and hatred. And when, when, one group says this is what we ought to do and another group says this is what we ought to do. That's nothing new. But what we are seeing that is new is the absolute hatred that Americans exhibit toward Americans. You're, you're, you're not only wrong, but you can go to hell. That's the American culture. 1960, John Kennedy was criticized for being so negative and harsh toward President Eisenhower. And you know what he said that was brought him criticism for being so negative and harsh? He said, yes, we had good employment. Yes, we had good economic growth. Yes, we had this. And he listed six or seven positive things. Yes, we had all of that under President Eisenhower, but I think it could have been better. And that was like, ah, that's a horrible thing to say. Old Ike did the best he could, and you say it should be better. Now, think of the things that are said from both sides of the aisle now. It doesn't do much to build our confidence. It doesn't do much to make us calm down. And as I prayed, I said, Lord, I know that we have people that are struggling over the vaccine. Whether the vaccine is good, bad, or ugly, whether it's right or wrong, that's not... That's not on the table for us to discuss today. But I said, I know the nation is divided and there are some people that are being told they have to take the vaccine and if they don't do it, they lose their job. I said, we are in a situation where we may have key families struggling with unemployment. We, 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 we have all of these things. I said, do we need to take a year off from missions? I really said that. I said, do we need to just take that off the table and just say, let's get past 2022 and then we'll readdress missions. 
And no sooner did I get that out of my mouth than I realized this, that's not, that's not, there's some things you do that with, but not missions. I, I want to tell you what I think 2022 may be, or at least this time we're living in. And, I, and I'm trying to hurry here, but I think we're facing a time when we, whatever we're scattering will be with tears. I think, I think we are seeing marginal givers fall away. I'm not fussing with anybody. And you say, well, you, you know I'm a marginal giver and I don't like you saying that. I never look at the giving records. I don't know if you give 40,000 a year or 45 cents a year. I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. I don't look at it because I want to be able to stand up here and preach about money without feeling like I have to qualify every statement because of so-and-so. I don't, I don't know who gives. I, 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 I mean, oh, there are times that I, you know, I say, my word, you know, this is an amazing gift. I mean, I mean, some things come to my desk, but I don't, I don't go through the giving. In fact, the only time I ever do that is when we select people for positions of leadership like elder. One of the things we check, we want to be sure they're giving. Nobody needs to be leading the church if they're not giving to the church. I mean, that's just a common sense. But I, I'm telling you, I'm not saying, hey, you back there. Hey, you, you know, or Justin, need to get off your butt and start giving. No, I, I wouldn't know who to fuss at. But I tell you what I do believe. I believe that marginal givers are falling away. But I think those that are committed... To those that know the harvest is our future. To those that know that giving and missions is about our children and our children's children. To those of us that understand that, we may find ourselves right now in a place of difficulty. I'm not going to lie to you. I realize that this is a time that's tougher than probably most of us have seen in our lifetimes. I'm talking about the potential. It may not be that you're in a, or a financial bind right now, but the potential for it is off the charts. It may be that this is the worst time in all of our lives for financial security and everything in you may say, well, Eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we may die. Let's eat the seed. Some of you may be saying, well, I know this is the Lord's, but I got to take care of me and mine. Loved ones, I will tell you this. There are times that giving is of a nature that it brings you, maybe not literally, but it brings you emotionally to tears because in your mind you could solve so many problems by just holding and taking the seed back. I know that. I know that. And it's easy to get away with because nobody knows where you got the seed for your supper. But those Bedouins taught us this. If you can be faithful in times that bring you to tears, God says, I'll make it up to you at harvest time. Well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to stop. Have we had communion or was that first service we had communion? Okay. I, I'm sorry. Um, there's a principle we got to live by. And you know, it's the Red Sea. I mean, I mean the Dead Sea principle. We talked about that before. The Sea of Galilee in the north, the, the, the Dead Sea in the south, one flourishing with life, one it's called the Dead Sea because it's dead. Nothing grows in it or around it. You know, we, we always stop at the Dead Sea and there's always two things you can notice. People go in the Dead Sea. You need, if you go to Israel, you need to go in the Dead Sea because you float. I mean, it's an amazing thing. You, you can't sink. You can't drown, you know, in, except with considerable effort because you, you can't stay under the water. You just bob up. And it's a, it's a once in a lifetime experience. But you also notice you're surrounded by utter and complete death. Nothing grows. And the reason that Galilee is so luscious and beautiful and, and the Dead Sea is so lifeless and void 
is because Galilee understands the principle of life. Galilee takes in water and then Galilee sends out water. That's the way life works. You take in and you give out. The Dead Sea has no outlet. The only way the Dead Sea loses water is by evaporation. And so that creates this, this unbelievable concentration of minerals and it, you can't drink it. If, if, if you get the water in your eyes, there are water fountain things all along the shore where you're to go and wash your eyes for 10 minutes to get it out or you could go blind. What's the difference? It's the same water, it's the same source, it's the same rain, but one takes in and one and, and then gives out and the other, all it does is takes in. It's like the, the, the Proverbs, and well in the Psalms basically say it a different way. There's the kind of person that takes in and says, I've got a hold to this, but all it produces is lack. And there's the kind of person that takes in and gives away more than you think they should but it produces abundance. Between now and next Sunday, we're going to ask you to make a commitment to missions. Ron is going to lead you in that commitment. You can do it now. What I would recommend you doing is taking this card with you and just praying over it the next week and come prepared to obey God. Corey, would you come and tell us for our online congregation how they can become a part of this? Thank you. Well, I know we, uh, we say it a lot, or we try to say it a lot here, but we want to just say thank you so much for your faithfulness on so many levels of giving and serving and everything. It's one of those things that we feel like we can't say it enough to help you understand how incredibly blessed as uh, pastors we feel um, to shepherd this congregation. We're so thankful. We do believe that every person that attends Christian Life should be a giver. And so because we believe that uh, so fervently, we try to make it easy for people to give. And so just really quickly, I know that every single week uh, when you see the announcement video, it kind of runs through five easy ways to give. I want to take just a moment and I want to explain really quickly um, just a couple of those things because some of them they can sound simple, but if you've never partaken in them, it can seem extremely confusing. And so I just want to remind us that, that every week you have an opportunity to give. Um, we no longer uh, pass the buckets. When we did that, um, you know, the virus hit, and then there was this concern that we're, you know, we're passing buckets, but we're also passing germs. You know? And so uh, there may be a time where we come back to that, uh, but what we decided to do for those of uh, our church family who are here in person is that we have installed these safe and secure boxes at the back of the doors at each exit. And those are boxes that you can drop your tithe or your offering in during those times. So if you're here in person, you can drop in those ways. We also realize that there are so many people that are homebound. Um, even before the pandemic, we had a, a portion of our church family who were homebound for, for health purposes or whatever. And so we've always accepted um, gifts um, from those who wanna mail in their gifts uh, here directly to the church. Number three is where it begins to get a little uh, confusing for some. Um, and so I just wanna make it real simple and real clear, especially for those of our church family who are online today. The third easy way that you can give is online. Our website is set up so that it is a digital giving platform. Uh, if you simply um, go to our website, there is a tab at the very top that says giving. And if you go to that, it will walk you through step-by-step step how you can give. If you're watching here online today, whether um, on Facebook or on YouTube, uh, there should be a hyperlink there that you can just click on and it'll take you through and it'll show you all the easy ways that you can give. The fourth way that you can give is through text giving. Now, a few years ago, like Pastor said, we began uh, to do this text giving and weren't really sure where it was going to take off and go to. But between our, um, our regular giving and our missions giving, within two years, we breached a million dollars in giving just over text giving, just through text giving. So it is an incredible tool. Once you have it set up, it is incredibly easy. It is f by far the quickest way that people can give. It takes about 10 seconds once you get it set up. And so if you will just simply text the number 
302-3032. It's in your bulletin. And if you text the word give to that, it will take you to a place where you can set everything up. And once you get that set up, it is like clockwork. It is so simple and so helpful uh, to give. The fifth easy way that you can give is what we call through scheduled or reoccurring giving. Now, uh, I can't tell you how many times, and I'm like pastor, I have no idea. I don't think any of our pastors have any idea who gives what, anything like that. Um, we really have a conviction that that is between you and the Lord. Uh, but I'll tell you, there have been a thousand times where I've had a conversation with somebody and, you know, as a pastor, when they see me, they're reminded, they're like, oh man, I forgot to give my tithe this week or my offering. And so I'll just tell them, oh, well, you can just do that through these ways or whatever. But what we did is we developed a way uh, for systemized giving so that either on with our online platform or our text giving, you can have reoccurring giving set up so that you don't have to remember it. There are some that, you know, for example, if you, uh, you know, you get paid on the 15th, you can set it up where, you know, your tithe is sent uh, to the church on the 16th of every month through either of these platforms. And so again, I just wanted to run it through. I know we say it every week, but sometimes it can be like, well, what is that text giving thing? So I just want to make it a little bit clearer. But more than anything today, I wanted to remind us about the, um, the faith promises. In your bulletin today, if you're here in person, in your bulletin today and next Sunday, uh, you will see these faith promise cards. And basically all this is, is this is you saying, with the Lord's help in 2022, I hope that me and my family can give X amount of dollars towards missions next year. That's all that this is. For the church family, what it does for us is it helps Pastor Tommy, who's over our missions ministries, it helps us to plan ahead for next year so that our missionaries, we can know who we can give to and who we may need to, you know, we may not be able to give to them this year or um, certain projects we want to give to this year, but we, we may not be able to do some next year. It's, it's just a tool for us that helps us plan. Nobody's going to call you in June, okay? Nobody's going to be like, uh, Justin, uh, you know, it says here you pledged $1,000, but we see, you know, you've given four, okay? Um, nobody's going to do that. It's, it's not that kind of thing. If you have been a part of our church very long, you know that that is not in our heart. We would never do something like that. But it's just simply a helpful tool for us. Okay, so that is for those of us who are in the house on campus this week and next week. Next week, we'll collect those. For those of our church family who are online, we have a faith giving promise uh, form online. There is a hyperlink in the Facebook and um, on YouTube as well. If you will click that, um, it is clcolumbia.com backslash missions. If you will go to that page about halfway down, there is a little hyperlink there. And it says, uh, if you would like to make a pledge, you can do so by clicking here. And what you'll see online is it's an online form that looks just like this. And you can go through and you can make your pledge in that kind of way. Again, there is a difference between our tithe and our missions. And what I'm talking about here, this, um, this faith pledge, this is not your faith pledge for tithe. This is your faith pledge for missions in general so that we can really plan well. And so uh, I just want to say, again, how thankful we are for your faithfulness. And in, in a world that is swirling with chaos, um, it is incredible the anticipation that we have in our hearts for what the Lord is doing in us, but what the Lord is going to do through us as we give so faithfully and partner with him. Amen? Amen. God bless you. I want to tell you, it works even for dinosaurs like me. If, you, if, if you're not comfortable and you say, oh, what if I put the wrong amount in? Let me tell you something. I gave $100,000 one day <laughs> when I was trying to give 1000 for a big special project. We had saved up and got $1,000. And the next thing I know, I've, pled, you know, I've sent in 100000 Of course, it would have just been a matter of seconds before they realized that it was no good. But I just, I just did what it said, and it took it out and, and said, no, I, I won't start over. And so I, I, I moved very slowly, and I paid a dollar, then 10. I mean, I got up to 1,000 to be sure I did it right. Listen, if I can do it, anybody can do it. This is the way we want to end our service today. We, we, first of all, we thank you. I, I cannot tell you. It, in fact, I need to say this again. Pastor's Day was a couple of... Sundays ago, and I know I said thank you last week, and I put it in the bulletin, but I want to tell you again, 
thank you for the way you gave to my family. Thank you for that. You, you are so generous, you are so kind. But I wanna say thank you also for your regular giving that keeps the church going. And I want to say in advance, thank you for your faith promise to missions because yeah, we, we, may, we may shed a few tears and we may have to hold off here in order to be able to go here, especially in the economic climate that we're finding. But you know what we believe? We're in this for the long haul. And we believe that for every tear we cry, that means every inconvenience we endure, every Krispy Kreme donut we miss or whatever, um, we believe that God will give us something to shout about. We believe some, God will give us something. Paul put it this way. He said, I am convinced that the sufferings, the difficulties, the denials, whatever word you wanna use, of this present world are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed within us.